0: Well, this morning's sermon's kind of out of a difficult topic, not really difficult that it's hard to understand or particularly controversial. It's it's about paying people in ministry. So when you're the person in ministry and the passage is about paying people in ministry, it just sort of inherently feels a bit awkward, okay? So um, I'm probably not going to stand up here and rail on how you need to pay people in ministry what they're worth, because there's obviously sort of an inherent awkward uh, you know, thing. I'm, I'm uh, It's the next verses. I pride myself on saying, hey, I go through the text and I talk about whatever the text says. And if this is what the text says, this is what we're going to talk about. But I also don't plan on dwelling on it a super long time this morning. I don't want to give anybody the impression that I picked this verse because I thought I needed to or something like that. Because I don't. I have no complaints. I just want to go through the Bible and see all that it has to say. So let's look at chapter 9, verse 1. It says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? This is Paul talking about his qualifications. He's free. Does this mean he's a free? He's a Roman citizen, could be. Or maybe he's talking about the freedom he was talking about with the meat sacrifice to idols and this issue of being able to eat it and free from the Old Testament law. Probably he's talking about his Roman citizenship. Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? So he saw him. Uh, Not while he was here, but on on the road he saw him. Are you not Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? Meaning, didn't I plant the church? Am I not the one that led you guys to Christ? Verse 2, if to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. So he's saying I'm an apostle, and even if you don't think I'm an apostle, I certainly am to you, at least in some way, because I'm the one that led you guys to the Lord. For you are the real seal of my apostleship in the Lord. You are part of the proof that I'm an apostle, because... The church was planted. Verse 3, this is my defense to those who would examine me. So Paul gives some kind of defense. So apparently in the letter back and forth, someone accused him of something. I'm not sure I know exactly what they accused him of. Probably maybe accused him of caring too much about money or something like that. I'm not really sure. But we go on to verse 4 and it says, do we not have the right to eat and drink? So he says, I have the right to eat and drink, right? I can eat Meet maybe he's talking about that issue. Verse five: Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife? Right. What did we talk about in the chapter before that? You know, we can we can marry, as do other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas. So I have the right to to take a wife just like they have. Verse six: Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working or living? Is it just us that can't do these things? So he's probably had someone accuse him of something. And so he is defending himself. He's saying, look, these people do it. I should be allowed to do it, you know, so on and so forth. I'm an apostle, and it'd be nice to know exactly what the accusations are, but he seems to be defending himself, proving these different things. He goes on to verse 7. He says, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? So then he starts going into these examples about how people who do things They do work. They deserve to get remuneration for it. They deserve to get paid. So who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruits? So if you plant crops, what do you get? You get to eat them or at least sell them, right? You get the benefit of them. If you are a soldier, you get paid. Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? So if you have some kind of flock, you would either get to drink the milk or you'd either get to sell it. Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? So he starts out with these practical examples, right? Like, I mean, look, everybody, when they do stuff, they get paid for it. Farmers, you know, people that take care of livestock, soldiers, but what about the lies? Even in the Old Testament, for it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. So the ox would go and they'd walk on the grain and they to, to separate the different parts of the grain and the shaft. And there was a law in the Old Testament that you could not muzzle the ox, meaning they were allowed to eat the food that they were walking on. You couldn't keep them their mouth covered. So why? They have earned it. They are doing the work they get to eat too. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? So he says, is God really worried about the oxen? Well, maybe kind of, but there's probably like a bigger principle here right? There's a bigger principle than just caring about oxen in the Old Testament. But that was probably part of it. It's probably better to feed your animals than let them starve or undernourish them. We go on to verse 10. Does he not speak entirely for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow and hope and the thresher thresh and hope of sharing in the crop. You know, so often uh, we talk about different forms of government and, you know, there's so really complicated, but if I remember the story right, we're talking about in Russia, you know, Russia when they had communism and they would, they would tell everyone how to do everything and whatnot, they were allowed one personal garden, one personal garden that they got to eat the food of. So the better they did at that garden, the more food they got. Guess what they spent all their time doing? Beautiful, beautiful gardens, and the food that they grew that went straight to the government, maybe they didn't care about so much, right? So when we're doing work, do we not work harder when we have the benefit of seeing some kind of, you know, there's some kind of direct benefit to it? Now, the, the, it, you know, types of government get complicated, but I think the, the, the principle that seeing some kind of result from your work makes sense. So when the plowman should plow and hope of the thresher, and hope of sharing in the crop. They think they're going to get something. You're going to work harder if you're going to be able to get some sort of percentage. I mean, even you know, salespeople have been paid on commission and whatnot. I mean, that's been a thing that we've done many times to try to motivate people to work harder. Verse 11, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things among you? So he's saying, look, we have sown spiritual things. Should we not get the material in return? if others share this rightful claim on you, do we need have it even more? So he's specifically saying other people say they should get paid for this. Shouldn't we even more? Why them even more? Because he's an apostle, but even particularly apostle to you, right? I started the church. I led you to Christ. Doesn't it make sense that I would be able to uh, get paid for my work Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. And I think this is where it gets uh, more interesting and kind of more important. It's easy to sort of talk about it in a mathy way, right? Like, I do this much work, I get this much pay, right? I do this work, you know, like it's kind of this, sort of like a math equation. But does Paul look at it like a math equation? No. He does not think of it just, I do this much work, I deserve this much pay. What is his number one concern? Whether he is forwarding the gospel of Christ or not. That is his number one concern. Not whether he's getting A to A financial reward for what he's doing. He's saying, he argues he deserves it, right? He argues strongly, all these reasons, practical reasons, Old Testament reasons. I I deserve it. I deserve it. I deserve it. But this is not my number one priority. Verse 13, do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? He could be talking about the Old Testament temple, but he very well well likely may be talking about the temples of their day. I mean, when people came and provided sacrifices, how did the priests eat? The food, the sacrifices that were brought. It was true in the, the temples of their day as well as in the Old Testament. And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. So when people bring money, That's how the temples continued to go. Verse 14, In the same way the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So, in the same way that in those temples they received financial remuneration for what they did, so those that proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. We're through 14 verses, and mostly the whole time I feel like all I've said was, you should pay me for my work. So, uh little awkward here. Okay, so I'm going, to do it for, I'm going to do it for three more. Verse 15, but I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. So he says, I deserved all these things, but I'm never exercising them. And when I'm writing these things to you, I'm saying I'm still not going to exercise them, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. I would rather not take the money, build tents, sell them to the people that come to the Isthmian Games, than deprive me of my ground for boasting. See, we we have a similar thing today, but it was even more pronounced there, called the patron-client relationship. You ever heard these terms, the patron-client relationship? So it's it's like this: you have you have the patron who's got the money and the client who doesn't have any. So you think of like an artist and the, the patron would say, okay, I'm going to pay you to you know, make an art structure for me. And guess what that client is going to paint that art structure of? Whatever the patron tells him to do. Right? It would be a very unique thing in their culture to have the client just be allowed to pay and do whatever he wants. It was very much a control. The patron controlled the client. I mean, that's why, I mean, we can argue about whether it's always good. It's probably not always good. But, like, the reason we started things like tenure in um, universities was because we didn't just want the people that had the money to be able to control the researchers. We wanted the researchers to be able to follow wherever the research went and not have fear of those with the money to be able to jerk them around wherever they want. Now, you can argue about whether that has worked or is good or whatnot, but, I mean, that's why we did it. It was so... That people would be able to follow the research. Now, why they have tenure in high schools, I'm not exactly sure, but I think that's why uh, they have tenure in uh, universities, so the researchers would be able to follow any path they wanted. But in this case, it was the person with the money controls. So, guess what? If Paul says people are paying me, what's it, what's everyone going to tell him? Hey, you're just doing whatever the people that pay you, tell you to do. Verse 16. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not my own will, I am still entrusted with the stewardship. See, he's talking about doing it of his own will. He doesn't want anyone to think it's anything other than his own will. He wants to be able to prove that he's not being controlled in this patron-client relationship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge. So as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. What's his reward for preaching? That he can give it free of charge to see people come to Christ. This is what he worried about the most. It's so ironic. The whole chapter, and I went through it quickly... Arguing about how he what? Deserves to get paid, deserves to get paid, deserves to get paid, deserves to get paid. All these reasons why I deserve to get paid. And what's his final conclusion? I don't want the money because there's something that matters even more. There's something that matters even more. I am so glad the gospel is free. I don't make enough money to pay for it, do you? I could never buy it. I could never work for it. The gospel's free. And Paul demonstrated the freedom of the gospel by the way he refused to get paid even though he deserved it. With his daily life, every time he went and made one more tent, he was saying with his hands, the free gift of the gospel is what really matters. The free gift. Oh, I deserve. I deserve to get paid. I should never have to make a tent again. But I will. I will. I'll make this tent day after day. Because it's the gospel what matters. We're about ready to take communion. And it reminds us as we take communion, I'd like you to think of today. As we look at the bread, as we look at the cup, think to ourselves. This gift was free. This gift was free. I could do nothing to earn this gift. I could do nothing to deserve this gift. Just a free gift. Let's pray as the men come forward. Dear Lord, we just thank you so much for this morning. We just thank you that we can enjoy this free gift. And we just pray that as we take communion this morning that you'd be with us, that you would guide us, that you would help us. Lord, we love this love you so much. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.